0: What's up, Criminal Minded Media listeners? Let's get started with Hip Hop Mondays, where we bring you stories of the never-ending battle between hip-hop culture and the cops. Sure, we cover the sexy celebrity angle of hip-hop music, but beneath the A-list players lies a very serious struggle with law enforcement. In fact, did you know that secret police units have been created to ferret out hip-hop's often mischaracterized relationships to crime? Probably not. So keep listening. And oh yeah, we might even solve some of hip-hop's biggest murders along the way. In episode one, I talked about securing a weird hip-hop dossier that was compiled by federal and state law enforcement to track hip hop superstars in their entourages, associates, and record labels. With the book in hand as a young journalist, I decided the best route to tell the story of the book was to actually make a documentary. But I had no experience, no money, and I didn't know anyone inside the hip hop industry. But fuck it, I started anyway. At that time in 2007, I was fascinated by what they called the hip-hop police or hip-hop cops and i was also fascinated with how much mystery was built behind this unit even if you become famous make a lot of money and have hit songs it doesn't automatically make you immune to the system of policing in america just ask rappers who've been targets of the hip-hop police now when you hear the term hip-hop police you may still think it's simply a myth but many people don't know that there are actual units within major city police departments that are solely dedicated to the surveillance of rappers and an attempt to connect
1: artists to local crimes
0: in revisiting the film 17 years later in hindsight my quest my search or curiosity was one part bold two parts naive and somewhat dangerous At that time hip-hop was just hitting the mainstream, so violence, gangsters, and a certain allure was all a part of the story I wanted to tell. I needed help from people who knew the industry could get me interviews or people who would talk. So I traveled down to Miami, Florida, where the annual Source Magazine Awards was going on. To this day, why I went and who I met changed everything. In a hotel lobby on my first day in Miami, I saw this white guy who had a bald head. He looked a tad out of place, but yet I watched as he talked to Russell Simmons DMX, The Game. Basically, any hip-hop star or executive that walked through the lobby, he knew him. I had positioned myself in a couch on the corner and I could just see his energy was manic. So I thought, what the fuck? Let me go talk to him. His name was Steve lobel
2: Steve is the one that helped me out, period. Because I came home, period. Always held me down, period. Been my friend, loyal to death, period. But all that being said, now we can go into Steve.
3: Yeah, you know my name's Steve Lobel. Um, the plug, the access, the connect, um, the middleman. Um at the end of the day, I'm from Queens, New York. I never forget where I come from and everybody out there should never forget where they come from because where you come from is what made you who you are today. <clears throat> you know, I had some mentors in my life, one was my father and one is Russell Simmons. Mm. Um, I grew up in Queens, middle class, my dad worked four jobs, my mom didn't have to work. Uh, my dad always told me if I wanted anything in life, I need to go work for it. So at an early age, nine years old, I got started delivering newspapers, But we're from in New York winter so you could shovel snow. I would shovel snow, I would make money. I would rake leaves, I would more, you know mow the lawn. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I would bust tables, anything to make money legally. Because you know, I wanted those fresh pair of shell toes. I wanted that BMX bicycle. Mm-hmm. got older I wanted that YZ125. Mm-hmm. I wanted that 79 Cadillac Baritz. True. I wanted that 77 Colors with T-tops. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted the member only jacket. I wanted to do the tracks not want wanted thing. So my dad's like, you gotta go work for it. Mm. So either you're gonna work for it and that's the only way you're gonna do it. Most people who are brought up, work for it, or go take it.
0: At the time, my habit was to carry the hip hop dossier around with me in a binder inside my backpack. I took the book out of my backpack. I shoved it in his hands. I introduced myself and went right into my pitch so here's the thing i'm shooting a documentary i I have this book this book was put together by the police the fbi the nypd i was interrupted by steve and he asked me point blank hold up hold up you the police now i don't think i looked like a cop but thinking back now here's a white kid from the suburbs of connecticut with a book of 1,000 police documents at a hip hop conference asking questions. I know, I was simply out of my mind. But Steve, he had a curiosity and he started to read the book, he started to flip through the pages very intently. See inside the book was not only documents, they had these very crude, almost like mugshots. They were designed and labeled and it included the record label of the artist for example on 50 cents part of the book it was labeled g-unit records on buster rhymes's page it was identified by violator records jay-z and damon dash rockefeller records their label at that time steve was engrossed in the book i think it partly scared him but not enough to stop reading
3: Once a marginalized black urban music form, hip-hop now is not only mainstream Americana, it's a thriving billion-dollar-a-year industry. Last year, hip-hop records outsold country music and the growth of hip-hop sales surpassed rock. Where rock and roll has decreased, hip-hop has increased. Damon Dash is CEO of Rockefeller Records. The label is owned by rap star Jay-Z, whose current album has topped pop charts for the past 15 weeks. Dash says hip-hop is popular because it is more than just a music genre. I think the reason why is just because Hip hop depicts a lifestyle, you know, it just reports what's going on, and people can understand the struggle through the music. It's not just the music.
0: Now, Steve did two things. First, he started to introduce me to anyone he met as a guy doing a documentary on the hip hop police. And second, Steve started to show people the book, and people were a little taken aback. Lastly, He told me Monday, after I got back to New York City from Miami, he wanted me to meet someone. He didn't say a name at that time. In parting, Steve requested one thing in his Queens accent. He said this to me point blank. He said, yo, make a list of names, all the names in hip hop you wanna interview. Put those names on a piece of paper and bring it to the meeting on Monday. I nodded my head and Steve was gone into the scrum of the lobby. There was a buzz in the air, and as I turned my head, the minister, Louis Farrakhan, was walking through the lobby of the hotel with his personal security detail, the fruit of Islam. The air was electric. I had never seen anything like that. Farrakhan and his detail were in Miami to meet with Russell Simmons, the godfather. I watched and actually felt the electricity change in the
2: room. Gangster rap started with us talking about our condition, the drug culture, but in it was something that members of the Jewish community, again, could use to create beefs between East and West, North and South. It's the same old uh, Willie Lynch thing where we begin to fight each other so if I can go on uh, on record and I talk I'm Ja Rule, wow. and I say something about 50 Cent then 50 comes back and puts out a record saying something about Ja Rule. so a beef comes up Ja Rule got his followers 50 got his followers we meet unseen by the television cameras, we are killing each other. At the
0: time, I felt like I had made some progress. I hadn't used the camera to film anything, but I met Steve Lobel. It started to feel as if I was making a movie, but I still needed money. And looking back now and trying to remember, I'm not sure how I was paying for this. I was working odd jobs at the time for a magazine and doing some stuff on the internet. But 17 years later, it seems ridiculous that I even had the money to travel and stay in Miami for two days. It really feels like this odd fever dream. Terms of money, I made a phone call. It would be the first time I actually asked anyone but my father for any money, but I felt it in my gut. This was a good idea. It made
1: sense to me. What's up, buddy? all uh, all right. How you doing? I'm doing okay, you know? Just living a crazy Arizona life. How's New York? Uh, yeah, it's all right. So I found this book where I I filed a Freedom of Information Act request for for this book that the NYPD and I think the FBI put together that basically is tracking all of these hip hop guys. Okay. And this, you know, I bought a camera up at BMH and I'm thinking, you know, 10 grand. For 10 grand, I make a documentary. I figure at that number, we can't lose money. We'll sell it, we can get another investor. What do you think? Well, I mean, what's the story about? Like, I mean, the book, it's like a book. Like, what is it? It's 500, it's actually, it's 1,000 pages. It's a surveillance book that was put together, and they're calling it, like, the hip-hop cops, the hip-hop police. So it's basically these guys, the NYPD, this, this unit of detectives are following all the rappers in New York, Miami, L.A., wherever they go. So I figure this is a story that includes the FBI, Giuliani, the, the cops, etc. You know, this is, this is a, this is a rumor, but this is proof that this actually exists. So you got a book, a document, a thousand page document with actual surveillance reports on yeah, it has like the, famous, it has on the famous rappers. Yeah. The F, it has the seal of the NYPD, the FBI. It's got some weird seal, of something called HIDA. So, these are legit documents. A woman in the Miami Police Department sent it to me. I figure I got to do this now before someone else, you know, does it. But is it like they're following like Puffy and Jay Z, like big everyone, people, like everybody? Yeah, Fifty, Puffy, Jay Z, Damon Dash, Buster Rhymes, Fat Joe, any anyone and everyone. So then, what's the plan? You just go. Interview all those people and uh, talk to them about the, the whole crazy and book? Yeah, and, and try and track down the, the people within the NYPD who started this. Sounds amazing. I'm in. What do we, we do? You just need money? Uh, Ten grand. Yeah, done. I'm in. You're going to make us rich and famous, right? Do I get a credit? <laughs> Let's make the movie first. All right, all right. I'm in. You got it, buddy. All right. Thanks, bud. All right. Bye.
0: Let's just say at that time, I knew so little about making a movie that I thought I could get it done for $25,000. I did not know what I was thinking. But Rick, a guy who hired me at his publishing company as an intern at NYU, was a true friend. And for some reason, he believed in me shockingly enough he didn't think i was that crazy the idea of hip-hop the nypd the secret unit gangsters this was sexy stuff this was also a time where hip-hop documentaries or even hip-hop stories weren't sold on tv like they are today at that time the dvd market was still exploding dvds and selling dvds were hot it was a real business so guess what Rick wrote me that check for 25000
2: and I was off to the races. You know what I'm saying? And the police didn't really like me. You know what I'm saying? I used to fight the police, be disrespectful to the police. So when it came down for me to get locked up, I was in the box. I had everybody was around me it was, they all from Brooklyn, and they always talking mad shit. Nigga, what's up? You already know, you talking that shit, you cut my man, you did that. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow we going to the yard. So the yard's like a little, it's like it's as big as this um, room here. Yeah. So. Um, With that being said I didn't have no razor I just got caught From cutting somebody I'm in in there like Police just fucked me up The day before Because When they was chasing me down In in, in the yard I was running all over The fucking place And I had a razor And there was nowhere to put it I put the shit in my mouth I was cool with that They opened my mouth They searched me They did all that They couldn't find it Um, Then I thought That they wasn't watching And I kind of like Tried to like Went to go spit it out And they seen that the guy in the tower was like, he has it in his mouth! That
0: is the voice of Pistol Pete Torres, a Bronx street legend, a gangster who used to stick up drug dealers in the Bronx and very famously used to keep a razor blade in the foreskin of his dick when he was in prison on Rikers Island. Pistol Pete was not only fresh home from jail, Pistol P was the meeting that Steve Lobel arranged for me on a Monday night in midtown Manhattan.
2: What I did, I I was like, well, I ain't gonna, I I see, I peaked, I already know what it, I've been in the box, I've been, you know, I've been in. It's not like I'm a new jack, so I'm like, I got this. So I came and I put the razor on my, I, I put this shit on my dick. Mm. you know I put it I, I came and I took the skin on my dick and I put the razor over my dick nice and gentle boom you know even though I had a little tissue but it still kind of bothered mm. so I still put it over my dick and I was like cool And I and it was like moments before you know like he's like, like the, the police is like the CEO is like on the next door letting him out first mm. so I'm like I ain't have it there like long you know I'm like okay he's coming now okay now I'm gonna do it and it was like okay oh, this shit was kind of you know it was Fuck. uncomfortable it was yeah it was bothering me so I was like hopefully this motherfucker don't go too hard where he'll pat on my dick too hard yeah, and yeah, this yeah, shit'll yeah. cut me and the shot be fucked so he was like nah you know come on let's Pat turn around I was handcuffed we went out to the yard handcuffed and they talking shit you know, motherfuckers out there like two or three deep. Shut. We mm, mm. out here, Shut. Sure. Mm. I'm like, I ain't saying no, I ain't saying nothing. I'm just trying to just shoot sure, out sure. there, get them handcuffs out, and let me get my razor so I could get to what I do what I gotta do. Steve
0: Lobel and Pistol Pete walked into a midtown restaurant. The name of the place now escapes me. And the meeting was pretty cut and dry. Steve and Pete wanted money. I had typed up the list of names that I wanted to interview. It included Suge Knight, Snoop, Diddy, Busta Rhymes, Fat Joe, Jada Kiss. The list was about 30 deep. And if I'm being honest, I never thought these guys could do it. I had a hunch, but this was a risk, a big risk. Next came the proverbial offer I couldn't refuse. They wanted $50,000, $25k up front in cash and 25K on the back end. What I did next was stupid. I shook Pistol Pete's hand and I said, a deal is a deal. But I didn't have close to 50K. I had 25K from Rick, which if you do the math, which I'm terrible in, I just basically gave it to fucking Steve and Pete. So now I'm at zero. Now, the other part of it is now I'm in debt. To one of the biggest gangsters on the East Coast. So what I did next was a decision that looking back could have harmed me or worse, maybe got me killed. I went to a friend who was connected to the mafia, a loan shark. I borrowed 25 k at three points a week on the street. I now owned a mafia loan shark 25 k The fuck was I doing?